Hello and welcome to Talk to Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon, and Chief Clinical Officer for Work to Be Well. Here with me today to talk about disordered eating are two high school students from our National Student Advisory Council. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. We're gonna talk about a topic today that is sensitive for a lot of people and that can cause people to feel traumatized or to feel um, sensitive or to be a difficult topic to talk about. If you find yourself listening today and you're, ha- you're getting overwhelmed, please feel free to pause the podcast and come back at a later time because you know we're going to talk about some real stuff today and it hits a lot of us. So I want to get us started by having each of you introduce yourself, where you're from, and why is disordered eating important to you? What comes home for you? Um, I can go first. So hi, I'm Leanna. I'm from Oregon. And for me, this kind of hits home because I've dealt with it. I mean, I have, I can look back at situations where being four years old and wondering if I should even wear like a certain swimsuit. And it, and that followed me even through now. And um, especially during quarantine, so many emotions going on during that time. So yeah. Hi, I'm B. I'm from California, and uh, this topic is very important to me because I've struggled with disordered eating, and it's definitely been a roller coaster ride throughout my entire life. Um, getting different feedbacks from family and even people I considered friends, um, telling me certain things that all led up to that. So I really wanted to be here to offer some perspective on the questions that Dr. Robin is going to an- uh, ask us. So, Well, and I appreciate both your bravery and sharing your own personal stories. Uh, as I've shared with you, my daughter lives with anorexia nervosa, and she was on the National Student Advisory Council a few years ago uh, before she got treatment for anorexia and has shared her story at uh, the Oregon Association of Student Councils and and actually shared her story uh, in an article on Aussie Media a few years back that it's really hard to talk about disordered eating. But I want us to start with in your eyes, what do you see as disordered eating? And what are some of the examples of disordered eating that you're familiar with? Sorry, I'm taking it in that this isn't live. And Well, and I'm happy to jump in and start with, why don't I kick us off with some examples of disordered evening eating and see if these resonate with you. I think I talked a little bit about emotional eating and emotional eating is when you eat routinely just because maybe you're feeling sad, maybe you're feeling bored, maybe you're feeling, you know, lonely, angry, tired, all the things. Uh, but it's when you go and you eat that thing that probably you don't need, but it satisfies that emotion. Um, There's also, by the same token, sometimes people will restrict their eating and they may not restrict it to the point of being anorexic or or have some other type of eating disorder, but they just have restricted eating practices. Like, for instance, they may not eat 
certain types of foods or may restrict certain types of foods, not because of an allergy, but because of a belief system that some foods are bad or unhealthy when actually they're probably really not. Um, there are other types of disordered eating. I think one of the things that comes to mind are people who go on and off of diets all the time. You know, that diet roller coaster of I'm going to try the diet of the month. This is one of the reasons that I hate the the new year. I was doing a podcast with Dr. James a few weeks ago, and we were talking about people who make New Year's resolutions. This is the time of year when everybody up on Instagram is showing their perfect before and after picture. And if you sign up for my weight loss program, I'm going to make you look like this in 30 days. And we all know none of it's real, right? We all know this isn't real, but I've got a supplement for you. I've got a tea for you. I've got a diet for you. When I think about disordered eating, I think about those things. Are there other things that come to mind for either of you? Yeah, I'd say for disordered eating, it's just an unhealthy relationship with food and how you see food as well. Um, just in some underlying causes from that, um, like you, you mentioned, social media, um, just the media in general. And then also for me, it was also family. I like usually family is supposed to be the most supportive thing out there, but at least for me, it was also culture. Um, I I'm half Asian, half white, um, and Asian culture. Um, I know our Asian grandparents are always very, very picky. Like, oh, Leanna, you, you gained this, you, you gained two pounds. Oh my goodness. You're going to eat all that food. And it, that's why Thanksgiving or like holidays are so hard. And so, um, disordered eating, it really peaks at uh, certain times, I feel like, as well. Um, but there's so many underlying causes. But for me, yeah, it was definitely family and media. Um, I just want to say that I really relate a lot to that. Um, I think definitely think that it is a bad relationship with food and how you see yourself plays into it a lot. Um, I grew up in this Mexican household um, where my mom always, or well, when I was little and I was a lot skinnier, my family, especially my grandma would always tell me, you need to eat more. We need to fatten you up or whatever. And then as I grew up, and I listened to her, and now I am, I can't admit that I'm a bigger person, and I get the endearing uh, little nicknames that have to do with my body shape and weight, and it's just, it's not fun, it's, it doesn't feel good at all, and you know they don't mean it necessarily in a bad way all the time, but it's still, it hits you, and it can lead to uh, disordered eating and things like that so yeah I, I don't know I just can't stress enough like the whole culture part of it where it's like oh you have to eat especially when with certain cultures like if you don't eat it's like you didn't eat my food it's like and so now you have to be like okay I'll try this I'll try this I'll try this but then when your plate looks full they're gonna be like oh why is your plate so full and then you're like you feel so torn and that that starts from like when you're little too. And it's just, I've grown up that way. You both have raised something that's so important. This idea of, of number one, the clean your plate club 
uh, and many of us were charter members of the Clean Your Plate Club and, and oh, you don't like my food if you don't finish it. But also this idea of the, the cultural impact of food is love. And therefore, you know, if you eat my food, I know you love me and you know that I love you. And this idea that when we're little, we're supposed to be these, you know, fluffy, chunky little things that then grow into these slender, tall, you know, whatever society prescribes for us. And those things don't necessarily work together. And I, I appreciate this because you're raising the issue of what is the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder? And I think, you know, when I look at this as a psychologist clinically, I look at disordered eating as being all the things that we're talking about here in these learn unhealthy patterns that have a lot of significant impact and may or may not become an eating disorder when they become something that takes over your life in a different way. And both are, are very important and both are something that we need to talk about. But I think we need to make that kind of a distinction around disordered eating being these unhealthy, very learned from a very early age of familial, ethnic, cultural, um, all the other things. I mean, I remember going to the potlucks at the church and you would go to the potluck and everybody would want you to try all the things. And if you didn't try all the things, then, then you were not liking somebody, but then somebody would be, Oh, what are you doing? Taking all of that food. Uh, so it's a really delicate balance. I think the other thing that plays into this are the patterns that we get into that we tell ourselves in the diet culture. And the idea that um, certain food categories are bad. Do you see the impact of diet culture as well? Oh, like 1,000 billion percent. Like it's all over social media, um, even kids shows. Like in our regular shows, like like you constantly see like the oh, here's the right foods to eat on like Sesame Street and like PBS Kids. <laughs> and and then, but then they grow up into being your, and then you get, and then you're a teenager and then you get your phone and then you start following a bunch of people. And then you go into YouTube and then I have, I'm not an adult yet, but maybe it gets even like worse as you're an adult and then you're seeing all your friends um, grow older too. But um, it's, it's like a pattern and it, it looks a certain way for each age group, I feel like. I think on top of that, when it comes to TV and um, things like that, is like she said, um, TV shows typically teach, like, here are the healthy foods, here are the right foods to eat. And then you see, like, advertisements in the middle of the shows that are t advertising different uh like junk foods and different foods that are then deemed unhealthy for you but all the advertisements are trying to do is get you to buy them and so i think it's very confusing to kids especially what food is right to like purchase or beg your mom for because you're constantly seeing advertisements go against what you're trying uh, to learn inside the shows. And I'm so glad you're bringing up social media because that is the, the dirty little secret. I know Instagram has been called out, um, especially with, with teenage 
Um, young teenagers, they talk about it more with girls, but it also happens with boys. It happens with non-binary individuals. It happens with everybody. This idea of social media having such a big influence on eating. There are websites and pages to follow that are dedicated to disordered eating and support people in these disordered practices. Um, when you look at social media, what do you think about the impact social media has had on body image? Oh my God. Like, as you were saying that, I was just going through the list. Um, there's there's um, a lot of trends on TikTok that I feel like point out plus size people or people who may be smaller. Um, like, there's like, there's like a body reveal, like, a trend where like you wear a baggy t-shirt and then you pull it back to reveal what your body actually looks like under a big t-shirt. Uh, then there's the the trend where you hold the phone up regularly and then you put it under and you you do like an ugly face and you and like maybe skinny girls might force it, but then it makes the girls that have a like like me that literally have a natural double chin looking at you and where and then it compares it to being up angle, being like, oh, you're pretty now that you don't have a double chin and it's just, and then there's people trying to advocate for plus size or um, plus size bodies when they are like, like, yes, you have a tummy, but it doesn't primarily make you mid-size or plus size, just for saying that. And it makes you, other, other people who are mid-size or plus size, like, just feel terrible being like, oh, does that mean I'm more than plus size or mid-size? And then, or people who are skinnier that may feel like, I don't have those curves. I feel like a stick or something like that. And it's just, I don't know. It, it really hurts when you try to, when people try to be a certain body type and claim that they're a different body mm -hmm. when, cause I don't, I hate, I hate being the person that hates on other people. And cause I love loving other people, but it hurts when I see them, I'm trying to put the right words into it. Claim a certain body type, but. Yeah. And it's not even just like, it, it doesn't just come out when you're talking about like your stomach or how big your thighs are or the double chin. It's just seeing all of these people, like Liana said, say, trying to claim a title because sometimes people just there there's constant hate on the internet regardless of like where you're trying to go what side of tiktok or instagram you're trying to be on and some especially like people that are going to advertise clothing or um, makeup or anything like that definitely push that perfect body image out there and uh, again with the advertisements and then the videos using said products it's just always always coming at you in one way or another ads uh, trends and it makes a person feel bad and it makes them feel like they need to change their ways in order to look like someone else or to look better um, as society would put it. So it's just always coming at you at all sides when you're just trying to relax on your phone or if you're 
walking downtown in the middle of the day. It's just you're always aware of it because you're seeing it everywhere. Yeah, and something I feel like I can add on top of that is when they categorize um, how certain body types should look like. This is how a skinny person should look like. This is what a fat person should look like. This is what an hourglass figure should look like. When, like, oh my god, bodies come in all different shapes and sizes. And and I feel like that goes into what you were saying, like the ads, the magazines, when you go into a store and you see the pictures of models or quote-unquote plus-size models up there when yes they fit into the plus-size clothing but I feel like we need a wide range of what plus-size looks like and or what petite looks like you know when you look at celebrities like Lizzo I think is a great example when you look at Lizzo and how Lizzo champions body acceptance and sings about body acceptance I loved her collaboration with Cardi B on rumors and some of the things that she talks about in their embody acceptance. Um, do you see those as positive movements in social media? Do people like Lizzo living their truth? Um, does that, how does that help? Oh, I, it helps so much like to have music about that. Cause music it can kind of be like your best friend when you just like are feeling at your worst. And to have that, like, music when you're in the car or in the shower or just kind of giving yourself, like, a little pep talk in the mirror is absolutely amazing. And for her to, like, normalize wearing whatever she wants, even though there's people going to be making jokes about her, which I totally don't agree with and it annoys me all the time, but that's besides the fact. But um, she, I feel like she's definitely a great role model um, doing whatever she can in no, no matter what shape or size she is and she's also staying healthy too by working out eating what she whatever she wants or needs and uh staying healthy at no matter the size i think seeing uh people in the media with music and lizzo uh it's definitely it's good representation and i think the way that she acts too is just um she she knows how she looks and she knows that it's not a bad thing either per se and I love how she just pushes that out there so people can see like she's happy with herself she's living her best life as she is and I really like to scroll through comments on like her video specifically because a lot of them are positive and I really like to see that and you know that these are the people that follow her typically are the ones that know what you know the whole body positive uh side of social media is and how just because someone looks bigger um does not mean that they're unhealthy or unhappy i love that because it, it it lends itself into something that that i want to ground us in here i was looking at some statistics around eating disorders versus dis disordered eating and the reality is when you look at eating disorders, the prevalence of eating disorders in our society, true diagnosed eating disorder, um, something that you need specialized treatment for is really right between one and 3%. It's very, very small. But the prevalence of people who struggle with disordered eating is more like more than 50% of the population. 
overwhelming amount of people struggle with what we're talking about today in terms of diet culture, um, harmful eating habits, um, the body image issues that we've talked about and things like that, which are not necessarily the clinical indications of an eating disorder can get there. Sure. But the reality is this bigger topic of disordered eating is much, 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 you know, if you think about 50%, that's like one out of every two people, right? That's more than half the population and it's men and women. And, and the causes of that then come around um, quite endemically. There's a number of, you know, athletes, for instance, uh, my kids had friends who were wrestlers. And if you've ever known people who were wrestlers, wrestlers have to make weight. And how do wrestlers make weight so they can always get into a lower and lower class? Because if you're if you're up there, you want to be in as low a weight class as you can. So you want to be like at the top of whatever the lowest weight class is. You don't want to be at the bottom of the next class. So you've got to make weight. And that leads to some fairly disordered eating habits. Um, gymnasts. I think if you listen to professional gymnasts and high school gymnasts and college gymnasts, you see a lot of disordered eating behaviors. And same thing goes with things like uh, figure skating, ice skating, track, all those different types of things lead to different types of disordered eating and definitely have body type preferences. How do you, when you think about those, you know, sports, especially that put people in weight classes, um, how, what do you think about that? Is that something we should still be doing? It's hard because it's something that we've been doing for so long and to think of it as a different ways. Like I want to, it just has, it just needs critical thinking. And um, for wrestling, I feel like <laughs> wrestling would be a whole different topic to try to think about it. Um, but I mean, for those sports, you have to think about the physics, honestly. And, but at the same time you want to be inclusive. And I feel like a sport is a sport, no matter what you look like doing it. Um, I mean, anybody of any size, no matter what, could do a sport. Um, I mean, I do cheerleading. Cheerleading has, I mean, a wide variety of body types because in order to lift a stunt, you can't have all super, super tiny people and you can't have all super, super big people. You need people of every single size. You need tall, you need short, you need wide, you need thin. And um, I mean, that's something that I kind of like about cheerleading is um, I can be in a lot of different places no matter what I look like. And um and I also did swimming, um, but my limbs are a bit too short for that one. Um, and so, but yeah, when I think about, I see people in gymnastics and track and swimming um, of all different sizes, and I feel like you can succeed still, no matter what you look like. But um, there's still a lot of, um, what's the word, pressure to look a certain way because, for instance, the uniforms to get into those sports uh, maybe really limited because um, I remember going to my cheer uniform try-on and oh my goodness are those uniforms like meant for tiny people <laughs> um, or when I did swimming as a little kid um, seeing everybody with they could always find the right swimsuit size and I could never um, and I, I'm pretty sure that goes for other sports as well. Um, I know on something that I've really related to when it comes to sports is that when people see me, they don't expect me to be able to run fast. Um, 
but I played soccer for a while and I was a midfielder and I was always running up and down the field and I was uh, assisting goals, making goals. And my brother was like that too in high school. And they just kind of looked at us confused. And it's always something, you know, that they had that stereotype. They had that thought in their head that was, how can you run that fast when you look like that? And it's something that's really harmful. And as the person where I know that's what they're thinking, or a lot of people are thinking, it's harmful that they see me like that. But it's also kind of fun to say, haha, you were wrong. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think we need to have um, a lot of diversity in sports like that. Um, I just don't know. I've never done sports where they didn't they specifically said I couldn't um or I I haven't done things like cheerleading or track or anything like that but so I don't really know how I feel about like wrestling specific sports like that but I just know I can offer my input on that part where it kind of it hurts to know people are thinking that but I mean unless we get the um, like social media and stuff to change how that uh those thoughts are processed and how um fitness and weight aren't always associated or how you look isn't associated with like health and stuff like that. Not necessarily. Um, I think people need to be a lot more open minded about stuff like that. You know, I really like what you brought up in there is that that idea of of how we we're not going to be able to change social media, but we can change our own perception of ourselves. And and I really appreciated what you were talking about in that feeling of accomplishment of it's like, you know, I can do this. You know, I can I can do this and take this. One of the things that we see in disordered evening eating is um, negative self-talk. And that reinforcing the messages you hear on social media or negative comments that you may hear within our own negative self-talk. And one of the first things all of us can do to combat disordered eating is change our own self-talk. Do you find yourselves dipping into that negative self-talk? And when you do, what do you do about that? How do you shift it? Oh, I had to go through that. Literally, I'm pretty sure like four minutes before we even started this. Um, I was changing my clothes because I had, um, cause right after this, I'm going straight to a family gathering. Um, and it was hard to look in the mirror, um, because my body over the past year has gone up. I'm not even joking. I, at one point I lost 50 pounds. Now I've gained 60 and then it's like, it's been all over the place. And I, and I would, and when I saw myself, I was like, I would be like, Leanna, like, you used to be thin. You used to be like 140 working out. Like what happened to you? And I would pick out like what, where the newest stretch mark was being like, Oh, that's a new spot. Didn't know I could get stretch marks there. Um, Oh no, it was just, it was, um, it is hard because you look at yourself and um, you try to say, Oh, well, Leanna, it's not the worst it can be but um 
And so you try to be positive, but at the same time, you look at yourself and it's, it's just so hard. And so I think the only way I could get through it was trying trying to love like what it is right now, trying to say, hey, um, you still got that snatched waist. Um, it, it, might, it might be gone in a few months, but hey, it's here now and you still got it. Um, and I feel like just living in the now and saying, hey, this is what it looks like right here and loving it is what is the best that I can do for myself. I really like the way that you said all of that. Lots of love to you. Um, I think uh, I also look in the mirror and I'm kind of like, I don't see myself in a way. I see the, the extra skin, the extra fat, all that. And I don't really look at myself in that positive light I just think why aren't you still the way you were before yeah like you're wearing a costume and a lot of it also plays into clothes and you know family like we were both saying before um I've had to ask my mom you know can I buy these pair of jeans and she says back she's like why are they such a large size? Like, is that what size you wear now? And I'm like, I'm sorry, they they fit. I, I don't know what else to tell you. And with that, it's just, it's really hard to not just look at yourself and be like, what's wrong with you? And it's, when you look, you want to say like, you wouldn't be saying this to someone else. If you saw someone else the same body type as you, you would say, hey, like, you can be happy. You should be happy because you're you. You have a body that supports you. And that's what I try and think is my legs let me walk. My feet are under me at all times. Like, sure, I have a little bit of a stomach. I have a tummy that hangs out a little bit, but... I mean, I eat food with it, <laughs> and I have I have medical issues, too, on top of it that don't let me uh, eat very well. Um, that's, that's a whole thing on its own, but uh, I just, I have to try and remind myself that my body is what helps me function, and I can pick things up with my hands. I can walk on my feet and all that stuff. And I have to try my best to be grateful for what I have because, you know, not all people have that. And I just say I have a functioning body. I have one that I can work with despite the fact that sometimes I don't like it, sometimes I don't like to look at it, it helps me, and it helps me throughout my entire life, and I'm grateful for that. I Yeah, V, I can relate to you a little bit on that. Um, it was literally just last night that, like, on the whole, like, talking to your family about clothes part of it, um, I was shopping for my new senior shoe, and I wanted to look at those popular brands like Lulu's or Princess Polly, and I was showing my dad, and um, I think he's outside my door. I don't want to be talking bad about it. 
It's all good. <laughs> okay, I think I don't think he's there. Okay, I don't think he's there. Um, but yeah, um, I tried showing him all these um websites, and he was like, "Liana, um, I don't think these uh clothes are meant for you. They're meant for like really skinny people, and like you should be looking at maybe like Torrid or um, and he needed a brand for like fifty year old retired woman with five kids, like like those kind of stores. Um, like maybe you should wear like J Jill or stuff like this. And I was like. I don't know. This is kind of off topic from the question you asked, but I could just like relate to be on that where your parents are trying to look out for you, but it also kind of sucks that um, in order to stay with the cute clothes, you have to be a certain size and there's no clothes above a certain like maybe 2X. And um, that hurts and it goes back into the social media aspect of it where you have to stay within a certain part to stay trendy. You know, you both have raised what is that that big, huge issue of how we, um, as a society, stigmatize body type by what we make available for people to wear. And, and I always reflect back on when you look back at what Starlets and what beauty was in the, in the 50s, in the 40s, you know, Marilyn Monroe, who was the hottest pinup girl ever, was like a, a, you know, what, a 14, 16, something like that. And so our, our ideals um, in so many ways have shifted in ways that society, I think, is now pushing back and saying, actually, it is very different. Because when you look at human beings and the beauty of, of human beings, um, we're coming all shapes and sizes and we're all beautiful. You both spoke about negative self-image and how that plays in your head. And, and I think the gift that we need to give ourselves and the gift that we need to give our listeners today is the one best thing we can do is to shut down negative self-talk, shut down negative body talk, because that's, that's not who you are. Who you are is the person that be described of, I have a body that carries me, that carries my heart and soul and spirit and allows me to use my hands and my feet and to be who I need to be and to be amazing and wonderful. And I want to tell you, Leanna and B, you are both amazing, wonderful human beings that I'm super privileged to know. You're an inspiration to me. You're an inspiration to our listeners. I want to have you back so that we can talk a little bit more about this because you both are so open and vulnerable and I think that speaks to our listeners in terms of being able to talk about what's the reality and how do we get through it? Because we, yeah. the only way we're going to change this is to talk about it. Yeah, and we barely touched the surface, I feel like, on either of our experiences or even where we can talk about. Well, we're going to get there. And I want to thank you, Leanna and B, for joining us today and to being open to talking about a topic that is personal the more we have open conversations, the more we talk about it, the more we shut down the stigma. And we are going to shut down that stigma every single day. If you're looking for support with your own mental health or any other medical questions, please visit us at providence.org. For parents, teachers, and students, check us out at Work To Be Well. I want to give one more big hug and shout out to B and Liana for being so vulnerable today, for sharing your truth. And we're going to keep this conversation going. We're going to do this again. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. This has been Talk To Be Well. Be well, everybody.